time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you joining us. It's Monday, the 22nd of May, and we are just rolling through this year. And the latest statistics from the MBA came out on a on Thursday this last week, and we caught up Marina Welsh. We'll talk about that, and we're publishing that interview this uh, later day. More on that in just a minute. But anyway, this podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals, and we're so grateful to have you as our listener. Our commitment is to bring you timely information that you can listen to in an audio format anytime and anywhere. And we do hear the reports of the different places. I mean, not only do we hear the reports of where you all listen to this podcast and keep them coming in, the, 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 the more unusual, we love hearing about it. Alice has literally done the podcast from a fishing boat with her notebooks, out fishing with her husband. So, I mean, I've done it from the pool once in a while. So it is just uh, the beautiful part about audio only is you get to hear us. You don't have to look at us. Although some, some of us, are, some of them on the podcast, not me, are, would be better to look at, are including, including great to listen to and look at. Matt Graham would be one of those guys. Anyway, love Matt's expressions. Folks, we're just so excited to be here, and we're excited about our sponsors, Candor Technology, the only automated underwriting system to earn a patent for its unique tech solutions. Got to check it out by going into their website, candor.com. Also, it optimizes the loan delivery and workflow process, so operations can right-size for the last time. We caught up with Ed Corne uh, this last um, this last week and recorded an interview. We'll be releasing it on Friday. you got to listen to what Ed had to say about what's going on at Candor. Also, some trends in the marketplace. We talked about Candor Plus. You want to, don't want to miss that interview. Also, we have the interview that's still out there, that Thomas Booker III, Earl Thomas the Booker, well, the books as we refer to him, well, affectionately refer to him, is, was released on, on April 5th. So check that out. Also, Finastra does a great job with their custom decisioning parameters to really help you streamline the overall approval process, keeping your lending team compliant. I'm, we're doing so much in the way of working with them. We're planning another ABA American Bankers Association webinar. We're doing that right now. We've got some exciting things uh, that uh, – we're doing we've, we've done several on chat gpt artificial intelligence what i love about finastra is they're the largest fintech company in the world but they're also looking at all the latest technology and they're looking at how to use it effectively if you want to be up on what's happening get talking to someone at finastra largest fintech company in the world they're even bigger in europe so what knowledge can we gain as we build out our mortgage tech from the largest fintech company. So I uh, encourage you to check out finastra.com. Also, total expert, uh, Joe Wellu, who we recorded an interview on March 15th, did a great job talking about where they're going, their vision for the future. It included, surprise, surprise, ChatGPT, talking about some of the things that they're doing, they, how Joe sees it being integrated into the total expert platform. Again, their platform is a leading fintech software that delivers purpose-driven CRM, along with customer engagement, 
through customer engagement programs that they've preset for you. And it's just turn it on and start making money with Total Expert. Then also Simple Next is so grateful to have them. Their mortgage software and technology for the modern mortgage more for the modern mortgage lender. Say that fast. As well as the interview we did with Andrew Lightfoot on March 8th. Encourage you to listen to that. Also, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America is grateful to have them. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the segment when it comes to the production segment. Um, we're going to be giving an update on the latest numbers, and then we're going to be releasing the podcast as well. Talking with Marina, uh, we'll release that on Friday. Also, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. These are two co-ops that are just really important for you to consider becoming members of, in addition to the MBA. Nothing will replace the MBA, but becoming members of one or both of these co-ops, which we're members of both, really brings you up close and personal with peers in your organization, with peers in the industry of like-minded, and it, it creates a more of a smaller and more intimate uh, setting for where you, you can interact to find out what others are doing and what's working for them or not working for them. Encourage you to get to know both of these organizations, Lenders One and the Mortgage Collaborative. Normally, we have David Kittle here, you know, weighing in on that, but I don't know if David's going to join us today. Hopefully, he will. But also, Knowledge Coop. Knowledge Coop is a learning management system. Check them out. Ken Perry does a great job with that. Uh, Mobility, MMI, and Modex. These two companies are going to do a great job of helping you on mortgage market intelligence. That's MMI. And Modex basically does the same thing, giving you intelligence, business intelligence of who's doing what in the marketplace. Soon joining the, uh, this lineup in this particular space will be a new company, Emergent. We're working with them right now. Got a call John Maynell right after this, talking to them. And also Mortgage Advisory Tools. Check out what all these sponsors do by going to our sponsorship page. So grateful to have you here. We're also talking to one of the leading LOSs about joining our sponsorship uh, group here. Really excited about that. Um, love your feedback. Who do you? Uh, who are you talking to out there that's moving the needle for you from a tech standpoint? Uh, talking a lot more about that in the future. All right, let's get over to. Um, oh, wait a minute. The upcoming release of the uh, interview is we'll be doing that. Uh, it was released at 11 a.m. The interview with Marina Walsh. We'll talk about that in just a minute. It's way in May 26th. Ed. Uh, Cornet, it would be of Candor. Gosh, I hope I pronounced that right, Ed. If I slaughtered that, I apologize. Um, but anyway, so exciting to have these podcasts we'll be releasing. Check out the other ones that we have released here recently. So much out there. Special shout out to Byte Software, who is talking with us right now. We appreciate all of our sponsors and those considering sponsorship. Adam DeSantis, I want to thank you for being here. L.S. Parker, Matt Graham's live with us. Boy, we got to talk about what's going on in the markets with that. And then hopefully we'll see David Kittle dial in here. Uh, Alice Alvey's live with us. And then Alan Pollock just joined in. Looking forward to having a discussion with him about technology. And, of course, Mark Helm. Good to have you here as my co-host, Mark. Appreciate you being here. Glad to be here, David. Thank you, sir. You bet. Well, let's get into marketing and listening to what uh, Adam DeSankis has from the MBA with today's MBA Mortgage Minute. What you got, Adam? Hi, I'm Adam DeSankis. This is the Mortgage Minute, the latest news from the Mortgage Bankers Association. And I'm coming to you live from the Big Apple at MBA's annual Secondary and Capital Markets Conference. I hope to see you here. Last week, MBA filed a joint amicus brief for the Supreme Court in CFSA v. CFPB, where CFSA, a payday lender group, is challenging the constitutionality of the Bureau's funding structure. NAR and NAHB joined us on this brief. MBA weighed in on the matter because of concerns that should the funding structure be struck down, 
the rules NBA members rely on to comply with the Dodd-Frank statute, including important safe harbors like the qualified mortgage, could also fall, exposing lenders and servicers to major compliance and legal risks. Our brief takes no position on whether the Bureau is constitutionally funded. That issue is well addressed in other briefs. Instead, our brief follows the same strategy as in the SELA case by focusing attention on how to avoid disrupting the housing and mortgage markets should the court strike down the funding mechanism. NBA recommends that if the Bureau's funding structure is ruled unconstitutional, the court should sever those funding provisions and preserve the Bureau's current rules until Congress corrects the constitutional flaw. Though the briefs have been filed, the court will not hear the case until the next term, beginning later this year on October 1st. There will certainly be more to come on this topic later in the year. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Yeah, that's big news. That's some good stuff going on there. Alice will probably comment on it and get her take on the funding of CFPB, what the NBA is doing for us. It's interesting, you know, that what the consequences of this whole thing will be. Again, we'll get into that when we get with Alice here in just a few minutes. Adam DeSantis, appreciate you and coming in live at the, from the New York Secondary. I get so many emails that are saying, are you here? Look, are you here? Would love to have been here, but um, having to take care of my wife, she broke her, as a result of her knee surgery, they went in to fix some things and they broke her femur. So she has uh, got a broken leg and having to have to take care of her a lot. And so no traveling right now. And, uh, and we, yeah, thanks. And many of you have wished her well. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Just one, just shout over one just now. Thank you, listeners. Appreciate that. Let's get over to, uh, let's see, Les Parker with the TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets and what music parody he has for us today. Les Parker, what you got? TM Spotlight Soundbites is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Bonds call us to ride my seesaw. Take Bull's Place, On Bears Trip, just for free. Last week, the Bond Bears won amid declining volatility. As a result, the Treasury coupon curve turned bearish. Nonetheless, mortgage rates reluctantly joined on Friday. So with a slump in housing and higher rates, lead the U.S. into a recession? Optimism over a debt ceiling seesaw gives traders opportunity to play games. So don't be surprised if wild moves return with beach volleyball and surfing. But by now, high rates are not much fun. These views are mine. Ride the seesaw on the seashore reading TM Spotlight. Follow. Oh, yeah. Remember that song? Man, I'm a dude. Love that group. Anyway, good to have you with us, everybody. My Les Parker, sign up for the TM Spotlight. He does a good job in all these. Gary Kentrickle and he can team up, and we appreciate them turning these on and doing so well with us. Um, we're going to get into the markets here in just a moment, but be sure to sign up for Les Parker's paid version of the team, uh, the TM Spotlight newsletter. You can get a paid version for free by putting the word power for power seller in the sign-up code. So put in the word power in for power seller when signing up for Les's newsletter. You get the paid version for free. Matt Graham is here. Good to have you here. I love some of that old music, Matt. But we've yeah. got some major stuff to talk about here. Breakout. Breakout, as you said just beforehand, from the concerns over the banks. We've been in a trading range, and we have just popped out. So where are we going? And we've got a report. Bring it to us, Matt. All right. Yeah. And thank you, by the way, for acknowledging that, uh, you know, I am the most handsome one on the podcast at the beginning. <laughs> 
Um, I'm not sure if that's because I'm, uh, you know, here live and a couple other people aren't, but uh, either way, I'll take it. Yeah, you. Uh, so let's focus on markets, though. What about those markets? Uh, yeah, well, bonds have indeed broken out of a, a trading range that has persisted uh, off and on since the fourth quarter of 2022, uh, but really most recently since the bank failure drama began with uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, in early March. And during that time, you know, we haven't held perfectly inside this range, but generally speaking, 90, 95% of the time between 3.4 and 3.6 in 10 year yields. So much so that uh, we've referenced it as just sort of the range that we're babysitting until further notice. And that further notice came last week when uh, yields finally moved up and out of said range. So then the question becomes, what does that mean what are we uh, really saying when we're talking about floors and ceilings and things like that? Uh, and there's a, a tendency, unfortunately, to view floors and ceilings as having some sort of predictive value. And that's really something I like to push back against. I think the more that you see a particular rate, yield, price, whatever, bounce at a floor or a ceiling, the more it is building a case that that level is significant. And when it is eventually broken, then that means more uh, from an analytical standpoint than any other random level that it might move up and over. In other words, uh, if 10-year yields are able to move up and over 3.6 or 3.62, wherever that ceiling may be marked, could be one or the other, then that move means that uh, there is some more legitimate bearish momentum in the bond market than any other random move between that 3.4 and 3.6 level. But I'm a little bit in the weeds here explaining the, uh, you know, the thought process behind the range breakout. Let's talk about why it happened and uh, what the implication might mean since we just made a case for it being uh, important. So at the beginning of last week, we started off right dead center in the range, but then uh, retail sales came out and that was the first major report of the week. It was a little bit of a paradoxical reaction because the headline was 0.4 versus a 0.7 forecast. So a miss, in other words, something that is generally seen as being good for rates, in this case, it was bad. A few potential reasons for that. Uh, number one, it was nonetheless a big improvement from the previous month, which was down 0.6. But I think more importantly, the internal components met their expectations and in some cases exceeded them. And by internal components, we're talking about the things like uh, retail sales, excluding auto sales or excluding autos, gas, building supplies. And then there's also a line item on uh, non-store retail sales, and that refers to online sales. Those were up 1.2%, which was, I think, the second highest reading in the past year almost, uh, give or take. But a very strong showing regardless of how it compares to previous moves. And, uh, you know, a, a message from the economy to the market, hey, we are not like super freaked out about the bank failures. We are not super deterred by high inflation. We're still spending money. And uh, later in the week, other economic data sort of joined the chorus with um, Thursday's Philly Fed index rising 20 points and uh, outpacing its expectations by 10 points. Jobless claims dropped quite a bit. Some of that could have to do with the, um, the range-finding process after Massachusetts had a, an outsized, uh, an abnormally large 
our number yeah. of jobless claims due to fraudulent reporting, mm-hmm. which uh, made the headlines at the time. And uh, there was some more analysis on it recently that less sent me and just sort of reiterated all of that misdirection play in the market. Uh, so the bottom line is, you know, the economy is showing signs of fatigue, obviously, with the bank failures uh, <clears throat> with respect to high rates and high prices, but it is not unequivocally pointing toward a nasty recession. And until it shows more signs of responding to tight monetary policy and um, other headwinds, then there isn't much of a reason for the Fed to say that it's thinking about cutting rates by the end of the year. And uh, moreover, there isn't much of a reason for the Fed to avoid saying it could entertain additional rate hikes in June and the next meeting. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what several Fed speakers have said. Yep. Others have said that, hey, you know, we're still planning on holding rates high for a long time to let this, uh, this policy tightening sort of soak into financial conditions. And that seems to be a little bit of a revelation or a surprise for market participants who were pretty sure that uh, things were going to get bad quickly and that we were going to see rate cuts by the end of the year. So with all that in mind, this week, there's a ton of Fed speakers. We have Fed minutes. Of course, that's looking back three weeks to the Fed meeting and a more detailed account of that. But they can also make some edits to emphasize certain points if they want to. I'm not saying they'll do that, but just for the record, uh, I'm more focused on the Fed speakers and uh, just fleshing out the broader narrative and getting inside their heads and um, actually, David, I'm not super focused on it because I already know how they feel. I know what they're going to say. Yeah. Uh, not verbatim, but they are going to say the same things that the others yes. have been saying, which is yes. we got to be data dependent. We got to let the tightening do its thing. Uh, a few of them are more keen to level off and not hike anymore, but a few of them will mention that they could hike in in June, depending on how the data goes. And that's a message that uh, the more the market hears it and believes it, the higher rates can go. Um, and I don't think that the debt ceiling stuff has a meaningful impact on um, the, the general momentum in rates. I think it has an impact on day-to-day volatility. We could certainly see some volatility when things are resolved. But uh, short of a default, which is tremendously unlikely, it's just a sideshow to create in-range volatility and not a, a big-picture thematic market mover. Good. Good, 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 good. So where do we uh, – Any the Fed speak is going to probably be driving more than anything else this week. Uh, we've got some housing data, some of that stuff, as you mentioned. It'll be interesting. But really, it's good. Yeah, huh? yeah I, think, I think Fed speak, to whatever extent it, it offers anything new beyond the, the comments right. we already have, um, I think we might just see traders sort of trading it out at this point, and that will give us uh, an idea of how, uh, you know, how the average bond trader feels about the recently higher yields, uh, we're definitely not back up into the pre-bank failure territory. So there is some room to run without um, really blazing any new trails in the bigger picture. But um, yeah, I think that we're really waiting on CPI, NFP, the big economic reports at the beginning of next month, and then the Fed meeting in the middle of next month, middle to end. Good, Mark. Any comments, or I, mean, I know Matt, you got to yeah, run. So I, I, we'll get I, I, I've got uh, got two quick ones. Um, maybe I'm asking the questions for the audience here on this one, but uh, I agree with you. I think the politicians need to get their uh, their uh, egos off their shoulders and solve the debt uh, debt ceiling issue. But 
I read some disturbing stuff this weekend. Uh, it was a hypothetical if they did not solve the debt ceiling issue, whether or not that would cause a shutdown of Medicare and uh, and Social Security payments to people. And I've got to do some research on that to see if that's a possibility. But, you know, if it did, boy, that certainly would call wild. Remember, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember, besides David and I, a movie called Wild in the Streets. But that mm-hmm. would certainly cause it to be wild in the streets if that happens. So I certainly hope you're right, and I hope they they figure it out. They always do. And it it bothers me so much that they always do. Why do they take so long of doing it? You know, it's, it's just uh, yeah. disagonizing. Uh, but I want to mention one one thing to you that really concerned me last week, and I've done a little bit of research on it. Uh, did did you read the article? And I fact checked it and all that about the Air Force missing a uh, their budget on an item, made an accounting error. It was twenty five billion dollars. Uh, did you read about somebody, that? I think somebody in the chat mentioned something about that, but I didn't read the article. Well, I, I read enough to be dangerous on it, so I'm not going to go off on a tangent about it. But you know, it kind of it kind of tells me what we're up against about our our the spending in this country. If oh, if yeah. a, a branch of the military can make a 25 billion dollar error, due and it said due to human error, I'll have some controls to check it. What in the hell is the rest of our government doing? I'm going to leave it at that. That that just disturbed me greatly when I read that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, that, I mean, yeah. It's, it's concerning, obviously. But I mean, is that a market-moving event, Matt? In something that was, it's going to move the needle as oh, far as I'm not was. sure if it's a market mover, but it is a, a good uh, reminder of the level of uh, treasury issuance that will be needed because of the way the government spends money in general. Yeah. Um, it's pretty nauseating if you if you really dig into it, um, but it is what it is, I guess. Unless we want to change, yeah. um, you know, the structure of the government. Other than yeah. the Fed speak that we got coming on going on this week, anything that you should? Uh, I'm looking at the well GDP preliminary on the Thursday. That'd be one of the items that would could have some. Yeah, that's a, that's a revision of the uh, right. advanced GDP that yeah. came out already and. Those really haven't been huge market movers. I think I'd be, I'd even give the nod to uh, the PMI data coming out tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Um, yeah. Hold on, let me look real quick. Yes, Here's tomorrow. PMI data. Yep. Yep. Over GDP, and yep. um, then PCE prices on Friday would be the other big report. Here's- not as big as CPI, but uh, potential market mover. Yeah, potential market mover. I know how busy you are today, today with all that's happening there. I appreciate it, but it was on your screen first thing early this morning, looking at it, as everyone should be. If you're not signed up to use mbslive.net, sign up. Matt is – what he's doing here is just amazing. Adam, your old business partner, was on there early this morning. Uh, I saw his commentary. It's always fun to get his take on it. I subscribe to his newsletter. So, um, yeah. Good stuff. You, I mean, you got a great community of people in here in the chat section. There's just so much insights. You can learn so much just from that. But you also got facts all over the place, all over the screen. It's wonderful. Appreciate you, Matt, for being here. Have a great rest of your day, friend. And good to be here. You too. All right, man. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. Normally run over to be with Mr. Kill right now. Oh, by the way, we talked about this already. We'll sign up. For mbslive.net, be sure to sign up using the LOL code. When you do so, you'll get an extended trial period without the need to put in a credit card number. We appreciate Matt for doing that. For our listeners, 
Again, just get your credit card out. Sign up. Anyone who has done this said, my gosh, I thought this was way more expensive than it was. It's really affordable. It's so affordable. Everyone in the industry, if you're serious an originator, you need to take this product, your, your market, your trade, seriously, and get signed up and know what's going on. Talk about it with your friends and uh, share this news. It's very, very good stuff. David Kittle would normally be here with us. We, he actually called me after the last podcast we did, and it was really good. Uh, we were talking about what is necessary. He says, look, we need to have a discussion about how are we reaching out? Are we doing the, the job? Are loan originators out there doing the jobs or reaching out? When we have contracting markets, I was talking to um, Emily Farty about this and uh, some of the things that, I mean, everyone's having meetings and pulling teams together, and we've got letters one. They're all off at their um, at their at their annual pull away, get the top producers aside, the top producers conference, and they're out in the Grand Caymans uh, or at the Cayman Islands, so they're out there having fun in the sun. Uh, but everyone's really looking at what? How do we think about this market? How should we be doing it? What should we be encouraging our LOs to do? There's so much palatable fear out there in the marketplace. You've got to be aware of it. Uh, Emily and I were just talking about. It. I have the honor of coaching her. Kudos to Emily for getting a coach, and I'm honored to be that right now but emily when i were talking and we we're saying it is so important that to increase your reach in other words if we have a smaller number of transactions going on and you're relying on the same network the same size of your network to get more business in the door you're going to be limited you're going to be really limited on how on that group i mean it's a good group you could do a great job of staying in touch with them i was talking with phil treadwell we're going to be having phil on in a podcast coming up and he's saying the power of social media by increasing your reach, it's staying in touch with your network that you have. Developing and expanding your network is something I would encourage all you to do. We're going to, again, have Phil on to talk about that. But then you also talk about what you can do. Kittle says, you know what? Why not be doing some presentations? Uh, find your if, – if there's an active church community there, it doesn't matter which faith, uh, talking about home ownership. Every church and every community or the community centers are looking to do how to fast foster home ownership in your area. Start doing these webinars, seminars in person. Uh, webinars not in person, obviously, but you can do those for if you have a, a network, uh, a market that where you're geographically dispersed. A lot you can do a webinar, but get in front of people and holding community centers in community centers or in churches. Um, home ownership, first time home ownership. Help these people start preparing whole classes on how to do that. If you give, and it will be given back to you. I know this is a principle. I have found it to work, and it is working constantly. Kittle and I were talking about it. He says we need to encourage our people to increase the size of their network, increase their influence, increase their reach, and that's done through education of educating future home buyers. <clears throat> may not have a direct correlation to getting an immediate deal in, but it will make a difference in your business as you reach out to others. So a lot more. I'd love to have Kittle on there. We could talk more about it, but um, – Mark Helm, do you have anything you want to add to that? Well, I think it's interesting. Um, <laughs> David, you know, I've uh, entered the world of writing, and I found it the most fascinating thing I've ever done in my life. So I'm working on a, another thing outside of the leadership series that I hope to publish on social media, and it's called The Psychology of Social Media, and it talks about the pluses and minuses and ups and downs and the misgivings and, 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 and presentations that are done and how to do them effectively, uh, but also to recognize why people seek out seek social media so 
so much. If you understand the psychology, you can better deal with what you're trying to do on social media because uh, the wrong ad on the wrong type of social media doesn't do you any good at all. Yeah. And so it's going to be – I'm excited about this one little project I'm working on that uh, I'm getting a little steam on. So uh, we'll see how that goes, and I, I'll report back to the group how, how successful it is. Well, I think you raised up a good point because when you're looking at how to communicate, ChatGPT really does do a great job of giving you some suggestions. And it's based on the intelligence that it has in there. And you can say, I want that to be a little lighter. You I mean, uh, there's the ways you can inquiry, inquiry and chat with ChatGPT and get the data back. I mean, you were sharing just before we went live on the podcast, the conversations. You said it's scary how conversational it can be. And I'm talking to a computer. As you're tapping in, it's, it was really interesting about that. So uh, we'll have to get uh, we'll get more perspective when we get Alan on the on the podcast here in just a few minutes. But let's get over to um, so anyway, Kittle, wherever you're at, have a great week. I look forward to it. Uh, that's an update on the production side. Increase your reach, folks. Get out and have a greater influence. Build your network, and social media is just one of those tools you can do that. Education through meetings is um, in your community, whether it be through the churches, the community centers, or whomever. However, get out and start becoming the industry expert in that market. It will bring you business and bring you referrals. Alice Albion is here. She's CMB Vice President of Education and Training of Union Home Mortgage, and she's got the legislative update. Good to have you with us, Alice. Hey, hi, Dave. Hopefully you can hear me okay. We do. We do. I had a great conversation with your boss, uh, Bill Cosgrove, the other day. I mean, it was more of a uh, going back for exchange, uh, but we're going to have Bill on. But I was giving him kudos on a on an interview he did about the uh, third-party originations, TPO markets. And uh, he did a really good job on that. And I love his thought leadership. You're so fortunate to be with such a great company and great leaders, Alice. So, But let's hear what you got for a legislative update today. Sure. Did you? It sounds like you might want me to um, circle back on the acronym soup that was thrown out for the MBA yes. news link. I was listening to yes. <laughs> CFFA, yes. CFPB, and the NAKR and the NAKB. <laughs> so, yes. Um, that's the case between the Consumer Financial Services Association of America, which is non-bank, small-dollar credit kind of product entities. It's their association. They initially started the case back through a payday lending issue where the Fifth Circuit held that the method in which the CFPB obtains its funding is unconstitutional. So that's the case he was referring to that the CFPB, uh, that the uh, MBA has now written to uh, the Supreme Court and not taken aside, as they were very clear uh, to express, but just simply that if you do say this is unconstitutional, here are some things you need to think about that would be the impact to the mortgage industry. So, for example, being clear that if they said it was unconstitutional, anything that they have ruled on is undone. It doesn't make those items unconstitutional, and now everything reverts back. So it's just crazy to me that this angle is getting taken because the the FDIC, the OCC, the NCUA are all funded the same way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this has a a ripple effect uh, beyond just our industry. So we'll wait and see, but that is – a long time out, um, not until after October, will the court pick right. up this uh, somewhere in their schedule. So this was just the MBA filing 
uh, their thoughts on, hey, don't forget, if you rule this way, these are all the dominoes that you have to make sure you're aware of will fall. So very interesting read for those of us who like to read that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Sherman, anything did you want to comment on that? Well, I think one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to read that, you're one of those individuals that just loves diving into those headlines, looking at the consequences, bringing it to it. And I encourage people to go back to our website, lookitonlanding.com, and download all of and listen to all of Alice's segments because there's just a wealth of information on it, on these. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, as far as the, the, the lawsuit and where that's going to happen, I got to tell you, folks, just stay tuned to where we're at. I think it is really interesting when you get into these debates. I have a mindset. In fact, this is going to be one of the topics that's going on at the NBA uh, this week is, you know, certainly the profitability. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But also we're going to we're seeing the topic of what happens if there is a change there. What does that look like? How do we respond? Is this a good thing? Be careful for what you wish for. Everyone's wishing for the CFPB to go away. But what does that leave? And the void and the vacuum of a CFPB, if that were to happen, I never thought I'd say, God forbid, that happened, but it seems like we were all wishing for it to happen. But then be careful what you wish for, as I said, because we're not sure what gets put in there in, in this case. Does it open up to a more liability? Well, several people have texted me while you were just before you came on. Ask Alice that question. What, what in your opinion, Alice, does that open us up for? Well, I think, like I uh, just mentioned, I think the, the biggest concern that uh, comes to mind is one, you know, we've had, we've got the uh, Dodd-Frank Act, essentially, right. that goes back that far, and you say I've got LECD, all the TILA regulations, so mm-hmm. if CFPB is unconstitutional, now what? Who, who yeah. regulates that? Does it get split back between the other entities who used to regulate bits and pieces of all of this, which for our industry has been... It, for whatever you don't like about the CFPB, at least it's one place to go um, yeah. as opposed to before being split thing is, well, what happens with everything that has been done? Do all of those rulings mm-hmm. stand? Uh, what about the cases that have been settled? What about somebody who's in the middle of an exam and or has findings pending from a certain exam? It, it just has a lot that uh, I, I just hope to goodness they don't rule against it because Kind of right now, I'm in the camp of I'd rather work with the devil I know than try and work with restarting all of what this regulatory framework would look like without the CFPB. Uh, and I don't know if they could go back and just restate their funding process. I, I don't know if that's uh, an option or not. Uh, so that's for maybe we need Mitch Kiter or, or the lawyer okay. in here to yeah, say yeah, and tell us about that. Um, talking about that. Yeah, we talked a little bit with Mitch when he when we did an interview with him just recently. Uh, we did do, we did, did you get a chance to listen to that, inter- that interview that we did on uh, one as issue as a Chicago or Illinois, I mean, Chicago or Indianapolis where there was a ruling. So um, anyway, no, I had not yet. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm just Googling how many regulatory bodies were rolled in under CFPB. I remember that number and I have that slide from presentations I did back in those days, Alice, but I have a recollection. It's like, Something it was it was over ten, and I thought as high as twenty three regulatory by agencies were rolled in together, maybe somewhere between ten to twenty anyway, somewhere in that range. It was significant. And how do you undo that if you were to if this funding were not to happen? There's so many consequences from this. So more to follow mm-hmm. on all that. Yeah. All right. And then um, what I was going to originally talk about was just a little mm-hmm. bit about the CSCS. So now Conference of State Bank Supervisors, oh, yeah. uh, there's a group of all the state regulators that oversee the NMLS. 
and they've been going through this NMLS modernization and recently closed out a re uh, request for information. So that comment period just closed. It was kind of convoluted, so I didn't talk a lot about it on the show here because it's really for those who live in NMLS, have to pull together all of the data uh, for all those filings and who actually work with the state regulators on a day-to-day -day basis. And for a national company, it is such a patchwork to try and manage uh, the, the regulatory environment we're in. So CSBS has been trying to, in their modernization, try and structure a centralized system. So they have the state examination system, which has been used by almost all the states, trying to centralize this. And so this RFI brought up a couple of ways to centralize the data import and centralize the document uploads so that they're more standard at that level. MBA uh, published a great set of comments on this for everyone to, who deals with this to please go check that out. Uh, it was available in their news link that they published today, and it really focuses on some of the areas that are a concern with could they actually make matters worse if they tried to standardize it too much by making it more strict for states that aren't as strict. Um, so just some good info there uh, for people to check in on. So, uh, Dave, I'll close it there and send it back to good. you. Good, 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 good. Lots of questions rolling in. We'll save some of those. I'll get those over to you, Alice, so you can come in next week. So tune in next week. Okay, you can, I, can I ask Alice? Yes. Can I ask Alice yeah. real quick? Alice, uh, years ago, um, I served on a number of committees that I'm not sure they exist in the same way now. I served on the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and Ginny Mae advisory committees and actually on a FHA advisor and a separate uh, VA advisor committee, not at the same time, obviously. Do, does MBA, to the best of your knowledge, still have, uh, still uh, schedule and assign people to committees like that to meet frequently with those agencies? I'm not sure. That would be a great question for them. I know I served on Fannie Mae, an advisory council that they had out of the Chicago office years ago. And in those cases, it was the agency themselves selected the individuals for those advisory. So um, I would have to defend, uh, have us reach out to MBA yeah. to find out how I'm, they structure that. I'm not sure either. either. I had a conversation with a uh, pretty high-level politician that's uh, in Washington these days, and uh, he basically asked me what I thought was wrong with our agencies that are the mainstream and allowing mortgage banking actually happen because if they didn't exist, we'd have been in a world of hurt. And I said, I talked about the advisory committees we used to have, and I told him how important I thought an advisory committee for each one of those would be if it was made up of the right people. Like um, if, if the advisory committee was made up of members of MBA and, and members of the collaboratives we work with, uh, you know, like Lenders One and Mortgage Collaborative and Home Builders Association, American Realtors Association. And if there was a 10 to 12 minute uh, member advisory committee that represented all the factors, maybe a technology, a couple technology companies and rotate the people in and also all technology major ones have a, an opportunity. I, I just don't think the agencies are getting the right kind of communication right now and the right kind of guidance, and I'm seeing so much stuff across the board. It's just going by the wayside, is, and I, I just something's got to be done on that. So I'm hoping something will go down the line. But I'm going to reach back to our friends at NBA and find out what we've got in existence, and I'll let everybody know in the next podcast. 
Yeah, and I I agree. I think that's a great suggestion to get to the bottom of. I would add that I would like to see some frontline people added to that, not just the heads of agencies where, you know, they're trying to grapple with multiple different positions on things. Uh, you know, like the people who live NMLS and State Safe Act audits every day, that we get some, you know, day-to-day -day folks in mortgage banking part of those discussions. Yeah. I think it's a two-way street. I think the membership has to be the right selection from from the people representing everybody interfaces with them, but it also has to be the right people because if some of the agencies, they're, they're the figurehead structure they have there, and you got the doers, yeah. and then you got the policymakers. They're different sets to have, and if you don't have a mix of that on the advisory committees, it would never be successful, never. Yeah, I agree. You have to have people who know how to talk that talk. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yep. Good point. All right, Alice, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Be sure to, again, get over to the website, listen to all of Alice's reports. Alice, have a great re week, and uh, appreciate you being here each and every week, giving us an update. Thanks. All right, let's get over to Alan Pollock, who is dialed in with this week's tech update. Uh, man, there's so much in the world of technology that's happening it seems like, Alan, every week I'm hearing about a new tech company being launched that is better, yeah. faster, cheaper than the ones they're competing against. I mean, what, what yeah. do we make of this kind of amount of – we love seeing innovation. We need it. But the cost mm -hmm. of the NBA, which is reported in their, in, in their, um, in their latest uh, release of information – I mean, their latest uh, – <laughs> Profitability, the profitability report or performance report on uh, Q1 of 2023 just showed our costs have continued to go up. It's up over $13,000 again. And I go on. I, I just had that in front of me to share today. That's so funny that you mentioned that. It is it's just crazy, David. It's, it's basically saying that in terms of profitability, well, the number, I'm not going to read through it. Total production revenues are down. Um, oof, the people, lenders are losing money right now. They're not. They're not gaining money. So forget the costs are going higher. They're losing money. At least, at least at some point they were they were banking some cash. Now they're not banking any cash. Now it's just all of the cost. Um, it's it's totally turned upside down. And for for financial institutions, unless you're, you know. For the folks that are under a billion, let's say, right, or even under two billion, you're, you're talking about institutions, and if you're listening to us, then you're probably nodding your head that all of this tech and everything comes at a cost, uh, and people yeah. come at a cost. And where where is that line? How how do you move from left to right? And I, and I think a lot of people are worrying about that right now. Yep. Yeah, that's so true. Alan, I got a question for you. Um, does the uh, the cost to uh, originate does and it goes up and it goes down. Does it take any yeah. consideration of the volatility and the value of the servicing MSR it's created, or is that just pure operational cost? No, it, there is servicing in here. And let me just scroll because I didn't take the notes out. I, I brought it up as just a talking point. Let me see here. Um, total loan, production expenses, commissions, ex uh, equipment, Production and corporate allocations, uh, there was a whole thing in here about servicing a moment ago. Uh, let me see, servicing. Um, it also talked about warehouse line. Um, in terms of profitability, Walsh noted that including both the production and servicing business lines and costs, only 30-something percent of the companies were even profitable in quarter one. 
Um, now, it's up a little bit, actually, they're saying, where it was only 25% were profitable, and that's, as we know, volume's been on the uptick a little bit. The average production volume was $398 million per company in quarter one, down from $436. Um, and then it gets into some further detail. Uh, however, yeah. costs continued to escalate with the further drop in volume and reached more than $13,000 per loan, despite substantial personnel reduction. Yeah, yeah. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Al, Mark and I did an interview with Marsha that, again, were released earlier today at 11 a.m. this today, uh, just a little bit ago. And um, we, we were talking about that. It's just stunning. And, again, the cost is like how many – at some point in time, you cannot cut, your, cannot cut deep enough on your staffing. You really have a minimum core number of people that you need to run the business, and especially when the complications yeah. that are there. And uh, that's what factors its biggest issue. It's, it's and that's why we, been, you know, go, go ahead, Mars. Yeah, it's what we focused on. You know, our, our David's mentioned here today, and we mentioned for our sponsorship people because they bring so much technology to play. And your guidance, Alan, on this, talking about the different to- uh, technologies that can reduce things, because if if people don't figure out a, a reason for this, I mean, it's going to really affect home ownership in the future because. The, what has made our industry so great over the last four or five decades is the diversity, the different types of lenders we have and what they can focus on and how they can help customers and all that. And I'm seeing a lot of that stuff evaporate every year where it's not the meet and greet. It's all about the lowest cost initiative to get a loan on the books, et cetera. And, uh, you know, it's just it, – it really bothers me the way our industry is going. So – We've got to figure this out. We've got to figure it out. And technology yeah. is going to be our only answer to get those costs under control, and we all know that. And, you know, Mark, something out of our control, I'm seeing locally, even near me, real estate agents are, are scaring people. So some are. I can't, I can't generalize them, but I'm seeing some of that. And so you're getting all these mixed messages, and the news is not helping either. And so people – said, hey, I've got that 4%, 3% rate. I am never moving. I'm going to live here until I'm 95. And then you got some people yeah. that say, hey, I did the refinance, but I think we're ready for a new house, but they're afraid to move because rates have gone higher. And there's not enough education out there about the true mortgage process and options and, and how to handle that. Um, yeah. We need to do a better job there, too. And it's not, a, it's not a blanket statement that's super easy to do. Yeah. Well, I, I tell you, Alan, what I found out here recently, it's it's they're scaring people because they're scared. Uh, here in Alabama, where I am right now, uh, the realtor that my my daughter bought a couple of houses from and I bought a house through, uh, she has not closed on one loan. Now, we're in rural Alabama, but she has not closed on one loan since the beginning of the year, and she was one of the top realtors in this area. Properties just aren't yeah. moving. So they're, they're panicking right now because there's people out there. We all know there's a lot of part-time realtors and, and people that kind of do it as an adjunct kind of thing. But there are a lot of people that depend on their livelihood in the real estate market. And, and a lot of those people have to be really hurting right now. You know? And I understand Very the psychology. Of it. Yeah. Well, w- with that being said, I had a couple things to talk about today. Yes. I'm going to skip through a few of them. Um, so instead of talking about all the things that are cool new tech solutions. Let's skip through that because there's, there's something larger. I had two people reach out to me from the program in the last two weeks, David, that I want to bring up what their conversation was with me. But as, as I've been networking, looking for where I'm going to spend some of my time next, 
I've run into a couple companies, I won't mention any names right now, but they are new startups. So to your question, David, that you mentioned right before we started on this topic, they are new startups in mortgage tech. They're from individuals that were tired of the process or had ideas and didn't, didn't like the way other people resolved those ideas. And they took their own money. So these are originators or companies that were able to reinvest their own dollars and hire engineers, didn't have the staff, and went and built tech solutions. And some of them are really good. There's two of them yeah. I'm talking to right now that, that just what they built on their own without the infrastructure of a full tech team and product leadership are mind-blowing. Now they need to go to market strategy to get out there, but they're afraid of how much runway they have before everyone says, I'm sorry, I, I, I can't take the risk of replacing something I have because you don't have enough customers to show me it works. So how do they get their initial customers and keep paying to build their tech, or do they put it all on pause? And so that's a decision some vendors are facing right now or some of these new entrants. And with that being said, David, B of A just launched a FinTech Accelerator, which is the coolest thing. They've got some, some FinTech companies, a whole bunch of them. But get this. It's called Breakthrough Labs. And guess what's even better? They provide mentorship and investor opportunities for entrepreneurs from underrepresented backgrounds. So it's also considered a long-term play to partner or play to get acquired. And it has a lot of promising FinTech challenges. So again, it, we've always talked about it's hard to get into even FinTech without certain relationships. But now if you're from an unrepresented background, now we're, it doesn't mean you don't have the next best idea. So now B of A is trying to help a lot of people get into the industry. And I think this is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, let me see. I have their website up with a couple of the things that they have in there. Uh, if I can pull it up really quick without – yeah, here it is. So one of them's in housing. One's in real estate. Um, a number are in the payments world. And so here, they, they have one called Homebase. Um, Homebase is a homeownership platform that provides the tools, information, and community that people need to make better informed decisions on home ownership, including down payment, grants, loans, and more. And this is a fintech company that's coming from an unrepresented uh, geographical group. And there's a whole bunch of other ones out here. Some are AI-powered. Um, some are mobilizing people together, so getting the, the wealth of many people together, almost like crowdsourcing. So check it out if you're interested to learn more. Bank of America uh, just launched this thing. Yeah. So, so David, let's go. Break through, break through the labs. Okay, got it noted. Yeah, Breakthrough Labs. Um, I, I will mention quickly Regora only because as we talk about the appraisal process and everything, they did, they did just launch an Uber-style approach, is how they call it, to how things are done today in the appraisal marketplace. And it's called the Regora Appraisal Marketplace. So if you're interested, check that out. They're doing some cool things. I think Regora came out of, and I could be wrong, but I think they came out of the Flagstar Incubator a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm not sure. So... Okay, let's talk about – I had a couple uh, listeners reach out to me. It was very, very interesting, and their question was, I, I have all this tech. I have all this cost. I need to hire somebody to help me. Who and what do they do? And so I put a couple bullets together. I have to get back to two of them. And so I figured I, I, I would just mention on the call today. So here's – one is I, I truly believe stop buying more tech temporarily. If you're on the fence about a decision, then you need to act sooner. But the reality is here is what you need to really consider. How will you improve 
the alignment between your lending strategy as a lender. It doesn't matter if, if you're a bank or non-bank. So how will you improve your alignment between your business strategy, your lending strategy, and a unified direction for your company? A lot of folks will bring technology in, and it only works with documents, and only part of their company handles it. But people that, within your company that work with the, the department that handles documents are completely out of the loop of the new process or don't have access or it's limited in what it can do and no one knows how it can and will work. And you just create emails and chats and confusion. You actually spend more time than the software actually could have saved you, as one example. Um, the second is you need to develop a clear product roadmap plan, including all of the stakeholders. So think, if you have five departments that touch alone in the manufacturing process, who are those five stakeholders? And create a roundtable and develop a clear plan. And you have to strengthen, this is my third bullet, David, you have to strengthen the connection between the tech and the rest of the organization in a very collaborative approach. You know, Alice has Ask Alice. Those are, those are tools that can be added to anything you have, but that, that collaboration, that that heads of state, that, that strengthening between everybody is super, super, super important. And the final one, David, just number four is you've got to coach and level up your teams and your tech. And so this is what a technology consultant can help you do. It's not about helping you find the right vendor all the time. It's not about making sure that the vendor contract and the RFP was answered correctly. Those are all things that can be done. What is the internal strategy on how to adopt and, and win at, with your technology solutions? That's going to help you lower your costs and make better decisions. There's a lot of things that will come out of that, but that's your main goal. Good job. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's good. Chew on that a bit. Any questions? Alice, do you have any questions for Alan? Uh, I don't have a, a question, but I guess I think uh, I do completely agree. And what we see is people think they've done those things. They think they've put together a project plan. And when you look at it, you just go, this isn't a project plan. This is somebody's idea of rough due dates they're going to hit. So I, I do completely agree that it's not just getting the somebody in who knows, but uh, don't think you know what you're doing until you get somebody from the outside to check it. Yeah. Alan, I, I definitely think that you've nailed it because uh, that collaboration is needed in all areas of consulting, not just technology, uh, whether it's document custodian, whether it's selecting a, a warehouse bank, or whether it's uh, improving a servicing aspect. It's needed everywhere because so many times, like you said, those things are done in a vacuum and people are left out, and it's not going to be a successful yeah. process for a good while because people do it that way. Good point. Good point. Very good. Thank you very much. Alan, thank you for being here with a good report. If you want to email Alan, you can email Alan at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, at TMS-advisors.com. He is a free agent right now. A lot of people are calling him, wanting to get him on their team. So if you want to talk to Alan, be sure to do so quickly. It's going to happen. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate the tech update. Always one of the in more interesting topics, you've got us thinking in so many different – I always write down websites when you're, when you're on with your segment. So many things to go to. We've got the latest one, the Breakthrough Labs by B of A. I pay attention to what they're doing as well. All right, Mark Helm, any thoughts as we wrap up today's podcast? I don't know. I just wish uh, GB, Chat GPT would quit asking me for dates. 
<laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. Hey, David, I, as I told you earlier, um, in, in ChatGPT is uh, can be conversational. It's very interesting to do that. But the one thing I wanted to point out was every time you deal with it, you're dealing as a separate entity. Uh, you can stay in your stream of things you're talking about and then continue to communicate with you and remember what it said. Right. But, once you go out and you come back in, because uh, I tested it yesterday, I said, do you know who I am? And they gave me this long article from um, I'm AI, and I really can't remember people's names and doing this. Now, I believe we're just right around the corner from that happening. Oh, yeah. at GBW and others. I think it will happen, but it's not, it's not. it might be there, and they just don't have it turned on. I don't know, but it was interesting on that. But I will tell you that uh, – let let me uh, let me explain something to people out there in the, the chat GPT user world that you need to be aware of. I am 199% convinced <laughs> that in the data that chat GPT gives to you, there's markers, and I might be wrong. And let me tell you what markers are. Back years ago, I had to develop a, for a savings loan I worked for, we had developed a map we were going to hand out. And all those management interns were put in a room to review maps to make sure streets weren't missed. And all of a sudden, we found a street in a subdivision that nobody had on a map. So we called the map maker and said, what's this street? Oh, that street doesn't exist. That's just a street we put in the maps to see if people are copying our maps against our copyright. And I, I truly believe what's going to come out with ChatGPT, especially from the education users, is there are going to be – silent things put in chat stuff. So you'll be able to use ChatGPT for outlines of things you want to work on, which gives you a good roadmap. They can give you a sample presentation on something that makes sense. But I think those people out there that use ChatGPT to, like the seven, my son-in-law just flunked in a course, uh, if, they, if people use those things in ChatGPT and present them as their own out there, there's going to be techniques put in the ChatGPT stuff where uh, it, it will be able to figure out where it came from, you know, and you can see some of that now in the way they word things, but I just want to warn people about that. It's, it's not it's, it's, everything yeah. for everybody it has a purpose. Use it for the right purpose. And, and it's, it's a great enabler. It's, it, you know, it adds some superpowers to you, but it, you need still need to not just plagiarize off of chat GPT. Yeah. To, but yeah, it's yeah. like 51st dates is what he's saying. Yeah. Have you seen the movie 51st dates? <laughs> No, she I haven't. It is. Overnight. It is. Yes, it it is. the next day all over again. <laughs> that was a cute movie. movie. Adam uh, that was a real cute movie. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to go in there and look at that one. I got a good list of movies there. Been missing movies lately. Taking care of my wife. Haven't been able to get out. Finally got out. Saw one last night. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Alice, Mark, and the whole team, Alan, it's just, we've got a great group of people here. A lot of feedback coming in just from this podcast. Several people say how much they enjoy it. Listening. It's a relaxed conversational. We appreciate you listeners for being here and telling others about it. Again, special thank you to our sponsors, Candor Technology, Finastra, Total Expert, Simple Nexus, MBA, Lenders One, The Mortgage Collaborative, Knowledge Coop, Mobility, MMI, and Modex, along with the mortgage advisory tools. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you, listeners. Look forward to be back here next week. Take a listen to the podcast we released earlier this morning from Marina Walsh talking about the latest report, the MBA. She gave some additional great insights into that report uh, that they released last week. So listen to that today and then listen to Ed from uh, 
Candor, and that podcast will be releasing on Friday. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.